Hey, Garrick, I don't know about you, but uh, Love in the Time of Cholera was a book that was once read. And the phrase that keeps going through my head is life in the time of coronavirus. Yes. Why don't we do a podcast on coronavirus? Okay. Let's go for it. Let's do it. Two non-medical guys. That's right. If there's anything that the world needs right now, it's two mildly educated (laughs) missionaries. Dads. (laughs) Dads, right. Who have no authority on anything. Riffing on coronavirus. What the world needs now. Did you remember that song? uh, Yeah, Burt Burt Bacharach, man. Oh, yeah. The the, the Cracker song. What the world needs now is another folk singer. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard that. Like I need a hole in my head. Oh it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's old '80s, '90s alternative, but maybe, maybe not so, super appropriate. But f- funny, funny. We were, we were. Uh, so we get to still go outside, unlike you in Spain. Yeah. And uh, it was Monday. It was a beautiful day and uh, warm for this time of year in the high 50s. So I mean, just incredible. Whoa. Yeah. So we we uh, canceled everything, and uh, the kids were off school uh, for Easter break. And so we drove out to our favorite uh, kind of national park area and we were going to go for a hike. Wow. And uh, on the way there, uh, one of the kids said, I wish I had a million dollars. And the old bare naked lady song came into my head. So I I pulled it up and we introduced our kids to uh, if I had a million dollars and they thought it was the greatest song ever. Yeah. Those guys Uh, were, were pretty uh, creative. Yeah. Really creative, but they're the most Canadian band ever. Yeah. They're like crazy. even like there's there, there's uh there's uh, i hope we're not offending uh the canadian in our audience. no the canadians are never offended they're always like oh it's okay oh, yeah, it's okay yeah uh, <laughs> don't you know uh but anyway so so i because i was there was one song that was kind of like it was a kind of a breakup song sort of thing uh-huh. and it was like it was even pleasant like and i was yeah. just like that's so canadian you're it's breaking up canadian. and you're just making it nice very canadian yes yeah, the Canadians have a, a very, very positive, friendly people. Generally, except maybe the French Canadians. I don't know. I've never. I don't think I've ever met a French Canadian. I've always known just the regular ones. You know, I've met. A, I've met a couple, but they're they're really they were really nice people. Yeah, and yeah, um, the Canadians are incredible. Yeah, very yeah. kind, very, very friendly. I've met Canadians in different places in the world just randomly on like trains. Yeah, or at you know hotels, and they're just incredibly friendly, nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Always, people. always wearing some kind of Canadian identifier on yeah, their yeah. backpack or yeah. whatever they're wearing, so that yeah. they aren't mistaken for Americans. For Americans, yeah. Sorry so, about that, guys. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if there's uh, some Canadians listening. So, so funny story. I uh, when we first moved to Sweden, we uh, we were living in a uh, essentially a youth hostel. And um, we were having trouble finding housing. And so we've been living there a few weeks and I was down in the common uh, kitchen area. And there was this group of people uh, talking European students from around Europe. And, but the, of course, common language then is English. And, and so they were sitting there chatting and uh, anyway, I was cooking and one of them said, hey, we're, we're um, what did they say? Uh, what part of Canada are you from? I said, I said, Canada. I was like, how, why, why, why'd you say Canada? I'm, I'm actually from, from, uh, from Texas. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. (laughs) And, and they just laughed and they said, well, we, we know that if, um, 
if you're American and we guessed wrong, you'd be proud to be like, I'm American. But if you're Canadian, you kind of get ticked uh, off that everyone thinks yeah. you're American. So like, you just go with, you always, <laughs> they, they had yeah. learned that you always say, are you Canadian? And oh, then smart, the Americans man. are just like, heck no, man, I'm American. <laughs> yeah. But the Canadians then feel very respected. Oh yeah. yeah. That's, that's really smart because then, yeah. then the Canadians are like, Whoa, you guys, you know, good, yeah. good job. Yeah. And then, and then we've had, uh, of course, international, you know, we've had tons of people from all over the United States come through and, and do partnership stuff with us and here in Sweden. And um, Victoria and I noticed that uh, most of the time, uh, most people will say, well, I'm from the US. Uh, yeah. But when it comes to myself, Texas, and yeah. Victoria, Los Angeles, yeah. uh, you, we're, we're very proud of, of where we come from in, in Texas and California. You don't oh, say, yeah. oh, I'm from the US, you know? Yeah. Well, and my my wife too. My wife, you, uh, she says Texas. I'm from yeah. Texas, and and that, which is interesting because I wasn't born in Texas. She wasn't born in Texas, and I, and it's kind of a, it's an interesting thing. A lot of people move to Texas, and at first you have kind of a reaction against Texas, like oh these people. Right. But very quickly you become absorbed, and then you become no no no. I'm 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 from Texas. Yeah. I I, I was uh there was um I was talking to a student once. She was from California. And her dad was in oil and he had to travel to Houston all the time. And so yeah. that one time he was in an elevator with kind of some like, you know, more like oil field worker guys, you know, uh, roughnecks and stuff. I mean, nice people, but, you know, people who, who get the oil out of the ground. And they asked him, so, you know, because he was dressed a little differently. And they asked, well, where are you from? And he goes, well, I'm from California. I said, well, I guess you got to be from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> But that, there's a whole culture of that, right? Of Texas yeah. pride. And, yeah. And I, it's hard for people to understand, I think. Uh, until you get there. Until you're there. And you and, and ha- on one hand, it's an incredibly welcoming place, yeah. I think. So I'm not, yeah. We're really off a rabbit trail here. But another place, it has <laughs> this it does totally have about coronavirus. Distinct <laughs> culture. I mean, I mean, the fact that my wife, who is you know, born in Saigon, is Vietnamese American, but would almost identify... Uh, more as Texan than than any of that stuff. I mean, that's all part of her too. And you right, know, but but Texas and even you know her family was you know Texas is is important. Which, which is which is okay. This is this is a really strange thing. Well, one, there's the T-shirt or bumper stickers. You know, I'm not yeah. from Texas, but I got here as soon as yeah, I yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it it's really interesting to me because. Okay, I'm from Houston, Texas. I love being from Houston, Texas. Yeah. I love great Houston. City. Great yeah, city. when I was watching the hurricane stuff, you know, online, I was like, man, that's my town. Like, yeah. you know, I was, we're the greatest town in, in America. I don't most ever want to live there city, again, though. <laughs> yeah, most so like, diverse city in, in America. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. so it's, it's really crazy to me because, it, so I used to jokingly have this theory that somehow everyone in Houston is related. Otherwise no one would have chosen to live there <laughs> because, it, because it's just a stuff. terrible weather. You know, I mean, the weather's yeah. I actually have a friend who loves the weather and Rob Oliphant, if you're listening, you are a mystery to me, but, um, but I, it, there is something special about Texas and I don't, I don't know what it is. It's not Southern, but it's Southern. It's not Western, but it's Western. It's yeah. not, middle it's, america but it is middle america yeah. it's just and it's texas not, yeah and it's not mexico but it's 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 mexico right right i mean it's a it, mexico is a huge part of the culture uh and how how we do things eat how we communicate even uh you know it's it's a it's a hobgoblin of of cultures and peoples and yeah four four of the top 11 populated cities in america texas yeah that's crazy yeah yeah 
Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I think there, I've lived in Andalusia for 15 years in Spain. It's a great place to live, but I always think, you know, if I, if I had to live somewhere else, I, I, I have these, you know, images of, uh, you know, being in, being in a truck, being able to drive around farm to market roads, go visit, go visit my friends down in, uh, in South Texas. I got a friend who lives down in Castroville. Go down oh there, gosh. go, go, go hunting with him. Those, yeah. I mean, that's like, I, was, I was in Texas. That's what I'd be doing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those are kind of my idyllic. Uh, so whenever I try to explain Texas to people um, who have never been there, I usually tell a story. I assume that this story story is true, but I re- leave room for the fact that it may be apocryphal mm-hmm. or maybe exaggerated. But uh, because some of it, I, I wonder the, the legality of things that happened. But uh, early on in the George W. Bush presidency, so this, this story was told to me by a guy who grew up in Crawford, Texas, mm-hmm. where President Bush has his ranch, mm-hmm. or former President Bush. Uh, and uh, he, I worked at Texas A&M bus operations at the time. So we were, in, we were both driving a paramedic shift or para transit mm-hmm. car shift and uh, so you kind of hang out in the break room until you know someone who has a wheelchair needs a pickup so you go mm-hmm. and whatever and there's usually two of you so we're just sitting around chatting getting to know each other and uh it, george w bush had just been elected so this was 2000 or 2001 right and uh he was eager to make sure that the local population of crawford did not feel the burden of secret service you know protection and everything and and uh so early on there's two stories that that this guy told so there's a a burger place outside of crawford or in crawford or whatever and uh when he first became president the secret service said he was like hey i want to go in here and get a hamburger I love the burgers of this place. And, and I said, well, Mr. President, you just can't just go in there. We haven't checked it out yet. And, uh, and so, um, the, so the Secret Service guy said, well, I have to go in and check it out. So he went in and he said, okay, I'm going to need all of you to leave. The president's going to come in and get a hamburger. And these two ornery guys from the back said, heck no, we've been here a lot longer than he's been president. <laughs> 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 yeah. And then, and then this other one, uh, there's this, uh, situation where, uh, right up next to the guy who owned the land and this could be verified but it's better not to verify it because it's a better uh. story and uh the guy who owned the land next to president bush's uh ranch uh had a deer blind up mm-hmm. and of course it was right on the edge of his land and so here you have deer season people with high-powered rifles and, mm-hmm. and different stuff so early one morning secret service is out driving around making sure everything's okay and they see this guy uh they see uh this deer blind for the first time they're like hey we got to check that out so here this uh suited you know uh secret service dude gets out and starts traipsing across the field and scares some deer that the owner of that deer blind uh was about to shoot and so he got ticked off so the story goes that he turned his rifle and shot towards the secret service man <laughs> he was so ticked he's like you shot my you, you scared my gall darn deer, deer. <laughs> so so apparently president bush from from then on made sure that that things were done differently around yeah. crawford <laughs> yeah small town texas uh, that's a texas, little different though. that's america yeah, that's right that is america yeah so that that okay so that brings me in in some some sense then we'll 
we'll we'll bring this rabbit trail in. yeah yeah sorry Corona, guys coronavirus so so part of it i i wonder because I, I was talking with my brother and i'm kind of in the of the conviction that every country has to figure its own response which should be a reflection of its people so or take into account how people will respond to things yeah so in, in sweden um you know, we don't, we don't have really strict rules about meeting. And I mean, we have 50 people as the max. Oh, wow. Uh, if you're, pretty, yeah. if you're at the grocery store, uh, you know, you have to be six feet from each other. Uh, if you're in line, um, store owners are told to please regulate depending upon the size of your store, how many people are in it, you know, different, different things like that. And by and large people keep to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, because there is a there is a sense in Swedish culture that you obey you have a high trust of authorities yeah. and you obey what they generally generally you obey what they what they ask you to do. Uh, there's a great um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. He works for uh, is that American Enterprise Institute? Yeah, I think it's AEI. Um, <clears throat> why am I blanking on his name? But he says uh, he has a, a saying that he says uh, pretty much any form of government will work well if you have Swedes. <laughs> yeah 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 because yeah, I, they're yeah. just they're just they just do it right but then you have places yeah. like texas or where my mom lives oklahoma or, where, or spain or spain or israel mm -hmm. uh where people have a high tolerance for risk mm -hmm. and uh so and not following rules yeah so so it'll be interesting to me because in spain people pretty much have now followed the rules because of except for the chicken walking person yeah, I mean, so so Spain. One thing it does have a, a culture, generally of I think, of solidarity of when uh, there there is a need, when there is something to rally around, people rally around it. Uh, you know, going back to uh, Basque terrorism, when people people as a as a nation rallied against that, uh, even the uh, the March the March fifth attacks, Al Qaeda attacks, people rallied around people rallied around the soccer team. So when there's a I think a big event, Spanish people come together uh really well um now when 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 things are more normal then it's a little more fragmented people do their own thing so i think you know people um people have done a good job I, i've been really uh honored and touched and blessed to kind of be here in spain and see people really really uh get involved and and um and and, and really do what they can to to help stop this thing you know of course you've always got some people who are going to go around and you know break the rules and stuff and you know the the yahoos so but, but what what have you seen that people are doing to help stop this thing other than staying indoors which to be honest if you're a spaniard and being it's isolated hard. is a pretty big deal it's hard it's hard you know it's everyone in spain every day at you know six or seven o'clock people go out and go for a walk that's okay. just normal and, and so we're in the beautiful time of the year when people are outside people want to be outside and so that's it's a it's a very difficult uh, it's very difficult not to be social, not to see your friends, uh, you know, but I think with the, the, but people in Spain also very much respect and honor the, the, their elders. Mm. Uh, and so I think that's a big thing is I hear if we can save the lives of, you know, grandparents and, uh, you know, people who are older, that is, that is well worth it. So I think, uh, you know, those things have really played into the culture that have been positive. Mm. It, you know, it took a while to figure that out, all that stuff right. out. And definitely, um, it'll be interesting to see how, how things, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Because I do think you, you, at some point reach a, a breaking point for some people. And I know um, talking to some friends, for people who have, you know, some mental um, problems, some 
emotional problems, some anxiety. Mm-hmm. Those people are really are really struggling right now because they yeah. are not allowed to do the things that could give them a little bit of, uh, you know, release to their to the stress of being cooped up in a, an apartment. Right, right. Uh, do you do you foresee just a a giant party or a controlled release of people? You know, like because I mean, Spaniards they love groups; they don't like being alone. Yeah, it's gonna be really interesting. They've said in the tw- after the twenty sixth, things will start uh, going back. They'll start gradually easing restrictions and, and, and going back to a more normal uh, way of life. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that how that goes. Yeah, because there could be a point where as people just need to you know go out in the streets and have a good time. And well, so, so okay. So let's let's that that brings up something that that I have been wondering about. There is a lot of ink or electronic ink uh, being spilled over this is going to change everything. Yeah. Um, You know, from, you know, how we interact as human beings, how big, you know, stores can be. I've heard people say, you know, we're never going to, we're never going to have offices again. We're all going to, you know, commute over zoom um, and different things. Um, I'm, I'm actually pretty skeptical towards that. but. So, so why are you skeptical? Uh, well, partially because this is not the first time the world's been through uh, a huge thing. And, and, uh, and what I would say wait, is wait, that, wait, 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 what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you and I, we, we're old enough to remember 9-11. Yeah. Uh, you know, our, our, uh, our parents would be old enough to remember, you know, the 60s, yeah. which were in a time. I mean, you, you go back and watch Ken Burns' um, Vietnam documentary and you look back and you look at the 60s which we kind of sometimes idealize Six, the 60s was a horrible decade right. especially towards the end uh we, we, there was this thing called world war ii where 500,000 americans were killed and which the, which the queen just reminded everybody of did yeah. you have you have you heard of her speech that she I heard yet? of it i haven't heard it yet she's, I, she's so, quite a leader yeah i read some of it um some 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 takes on it. And I mean, just the fact that she, you know, one, it's very helpful to have someone old enough in a position of just moral authority, let's say in a, in a country or whatever, however you want to describe it for, for the UK, um, who has memory, (laughs) you know, who can say, Hey, look, I remember when I was a kid during world war two, I had to assure all the young children who had been shipped out of London to the countryside that everything was going to be okay. Um, Now I will say that certainly there is a psychological change that happens. Yeah. But, but here's what I'm wondering. A lot of times people seem to, when they say this is going to change everything, they're usually at least maybe how I'm hearing it and I could be wrong, but what they seem to be saying is this is going to impact things negatively or it's going to change things so differently. We're going to kind of evolve into different things other than a human being. And yeah. I just, I just don't know that I see that happening. I actually think even some of the, like one thing that I'm, I'm actually thinking. So for America, you talk about work, right. And you talk about uh, zoom and, and all these different things. Um, Americans love to work, right? We work long hours. We take very little vacation. We don't know about leisure life, leisure life. Um, I had a Greek guy. I was in a, he was in Greece one time and, uh, I was at a convenience store and this guy said, you Americans, uh, you live to work in Greece. We work to live and, uh, or live to live. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so, but I, I think that there was, I think there was this idea there that, you know, and be critical of Greece and, and their financial difficulties or whatever, but I'll tell you what, uh, they, they value things other than economy. Yeah. Um, which interesting, sorry, this is a total rabbit trail, but one of the greatest books I've ever read was uh, the biography of John Adams by James McCullough. Mm, yeah, yeah, and uh, which the miniseries was. Based I saw the miniseries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is a there's a part when 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 Adams was a um, oh what do you call it ambassador to France. Mm-hmm. He they actually show it in that in that film. There's the party where every all the French have makeup on and they're laughing, and you know Adams is just ticked because he's kind of yeah. like, look, well, there's a war on. Let's let's get to business sort of thing, and the French are just enjoying life. Um, they, Adam said, and I think it reflects a very American ideal, uh, but Adam said, my children have to study war so that their children can study science, so that their children can study arts and leisure and everything else. And there's yeah. a lot of wisdom in that. Actually, Adams was spot on. That's, yeah. that's what happened and that's what needed to happen. But I don't know that Americans have actually ever gotten to the leisure part. So in, under the Nixon administration, they were really concerned. So there was a commission that came out that said in 40 years, we're not Ameri- We're going to have too much leisure time. Americans are going to be bored because they will only work 10 to 15 hours a week because we'll become so effective with everything. And it's actually been the opposite, <laughs> yeah, right? It's been, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, so you just have these things. So there's not, there's not leisure there. We can do there. more now. Right. So actually Work-wise. I wonder uh, if what I would hope for is that in an American setting, as some of these when the dust settles and people start evaluating how effective was um, what was work during this period of time, I actually wonder if it won't show, oh my goodness, we were just as effective and people were working from home getting interrupted by their children and, and different things like that. There's yeah. a, there was a professor out of Harvard and I forget the study. This is where I get myself in trouble. But uh, he, he kind of came to the conclusion that that people who work 40 hours a week in an office are only really effective 30 to 40% of the sure. time. Sure. The rest of the time is just wasted. Yeah. But he theorized that we actually need that in order to find that effectiveness. So you can't just sure. say, well, you're only going to work, you know, 15 hours a week and you'll get done the same amount of things. It's like, you know, you would only be effective 30% of the time. Which yeah. is theory. But anyway. Well, well let's, let's be honest too. The, the, the only reason some of these, some of the be effective from work is that you already have built trust within your teams and the people you work with. Right. Right. Already. So it's very easy to transition onto, onto online. What would be almost impossible at this point would be to start bringing new hires into your, into your business who are just going to work from online that you don't ever get the chance to meet. So I think there's, there's yeah, a value. That's a really great point. There's a value in personal. I mean, we're humans. We're we still need personal contact. We still need to build trust. We still need to see each other face to face. Maybe not as much. So I have I have a theory on this. So I think you you brought up something interesting about how cultures are responding to this. I don't think I've seen any continental European thinker or writer or newspaper yet, at least not in Spain, who's suggesting that everything's changed. Uh, the, the, the yeah, focus, that's fascinating. The focus is now getting through this, getting back to normal life and moving on. Uh, but Americans, particularly in, in, in ministries, like everything's changed. Now, things have changed in the media, right? We, this, is a, this is a huge game changer. Has anything changed in how we do ministry? No, we still love God. We love our neighbor. Those are the two core things. So how do we do that? That's very difficult right now, or we have to be creative. 
but we're going to go back to a time when you can go visit people in nursing homes when you can, that's going to return to normal. Right. And we're going to go back to the normal ministry and people are going to desire that. But I I think because we're Americans and we're future looking, right. And because we, in the last 20 years, this internet thing, Twitter, the need to be ahead of the curve, right. So it pays to, it pays, it looks good to jump ahead and be able to say everything's going to change now. So if you get it right, you've got that in paper. And I'm not saying people are, consciously manipulating i think it's just because that's the culture we're in right now so people automatically gonna jump into a situation and go things have changed things are changing if i if yeah. you know I, I, I let's let's think about it and so then they write and so you know it, it's it's great but I, the reality is we, we, you and i lived through 9 11 people said the same thing everything's changed and certain things changed. Air travel got a little different yeah but, but even even though air travel got different incredibly different yeah it in it's only increased. It, yeah, yeah. People so it's, still. It's travel. really interesting to me. It's like, well, sure, but things change. Like, like my my mom doesn't have an avocado colored kitchen anymore because yeah. things change. You know, like um, I loved our avocado colored kitchen, and actually would be back in style today. So so okay, but so so the the prognostication, right? Everything's going to change, and we're all going digital. The shift to digital, especially among ministries, right? Big push right now to you got to be on digital and everything else. Uh, I think if you make that investment in places like Spain, um, in six months you're going to be going. No one's checking their phone anymore. Yeah, (laughs) because because everyone is going to want human contact. I I kind of see it as the moral equivalent of always picking the underdog in the NCAA tournament. (laughs) Yeah, when you get when you get it wrong, no one cares. No one thinks you're a moron for picking that team. They they just think you're a little quirky. But when you get it right, they're like you're "You're the smartest person in the room. Yeah, yeah. So in, That's in some a little ways, bit. I kind of see it that way. Yeah. And I, I think, I, you know, I think there's other, and the other thing I was talking to a pastor friend of mine uh, for, for, for the U S some of the digital stuff is new, right? Um, I mean, you and I've been working digitally. Uh, I've been leading teams digitally for, yeah, for years, yeah, right. but that does, in, a, in a local church in the U S they never would meet digitally. Right. So right. this is kind of a new thing. So it's a little bit of a new toy. There's the other issue of saturation point, right? Right. Like at some point I, I don't need any more emails about how coronavirus, I mean, you know, partially because now it's becoming a marketing tool. I get emails from every company now, Hey, it's coronavirus. We've got a great deal for you. Um, which is, right. you know, classic America, you know, turn something into marketing, right. you know, and then a third level is like, we're at some point as, as a church, we're competing against or Christians or missions. We're competing against Disney plus Netflix and, the Amazon. rabbit trails podcast. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, that. so we're, we're still, you know, and, 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 and we're also competing against some, actually some very flashy, well, some churches yeah. who actually have amazing teaching, yeah. amazing right. production value. So good, good for them. They've been doing that for a long time that for them, maybe they're picking up a few more, you know, viewers and, and that's great. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. Right. But what, what I think is that, that there's a backlash to that at some point. And I think as Christians, we need to remember, we are embodied spiritual people and that requires seeing people. It yeah. requires hugging people. It requires yeah. at the end of the day doing what, you know, mother Teresa did or what a lot of churches do, which is go visit the sick and dying right. uh, and, and praying for them. And, and yeah. so I don't, I, I really don't, I, I, you know, okay. Then one last point, there was a terrorist attack in Paris last week. Was it really? 
There was. There was like, you know, it wasn't a big one, but that's what I'm saying. Is like we had the 9-11, and then what happened? We all kind of got moved on with our lives and got used to, hey, yeah, every once in a while, there's going to be a terrorist attack, you know? Right. And, 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 we, and, and that's horrible. We all understand horrible, but we're not going to allow that to, to, to stop the way we live and the way we enjoy life. Right. It hasn't fundamentally changed what a human being does or who no. a human being is. No. And, that's, and that's where I go to. Although I, do, I think there are, let's, let's call them marginal change. Uh, so there's a, there's a great economist, yeah, yeah. Um, marginal revolution, uh, mm-hmm. Tyler Cowen. Guy is brilliant. And he talks a lot about actually if you change things at the margins, you actually end up do changing things quite a bit if you look for marginal change rather than the whole, you know, swath change. And one of the one of the margins that I'm actually hoping for that gets changed is a reset of the of the family as yeah, an yeah. important part of one's life. So um you know, some cultures do it better than others. The Italian family, you know, the, the relationships that you have there, although the depth of those relationships, I don't know. I would, yeah. we should get, you know, people we know who can comment better on that. But, but it, it, at least in the American family. So the hectic pace at which um, I think Western culture, but specifically, I would say Northern European and American uh, so I think the UK can be put into this. Mm-hmm. I think German culture moves at a, is it a, at a quicker pace. Yeah. Uh, Netherlands, uh, arguably slower though than, than America. America is yeah. the fastest pace of them all. So but, Korea but, and Japan. Yeah. The, the over, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The overcommitted lifestyle though, mm-hmm. right. That brings chaos, that brings anxiety. Um, you're starting to see some of that kind of settle out. So, um, Dave Robbins, the director of Family Life, posted um, a really cool post on his uh, Facebook. Of um, it looked like he almost lives in a cul-de-sac. I couldn't quite tell, but basically, they organized in their neighborhood a lunch or dinner out on your front lawn, and their lawns are big enough in order to basically everybody grilled hamburgers, and they stayed in their area and kind of yelled at each other, but they all felt like they were in community, yeah, in some sense, and you know. I watched another video that he had done with his family because they're right now their theme is, um, or they, they've kind of say, said the family isn't canceled. Like everything else has been canceled, but your family hasn't been canceled. And so constant. And I thought it was fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. But, but one of the things, you know, that they were talking about is, you know, it's, it's really interesting now that we don't have uh, soccer practice to rush off to baseball practice, dance, you know, all these different things. We're connecting with our kids again in a very different way. Uh, And, you know, one of my prayers is that in in times like this, um, actually, we have a we have a good friend who even commented uh, the other day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were on our our kind of catch up phone call with some friends, and and uh, he was saying how good it had been for his family. Um, I, you know, I I look at that, and I would hope that Americans would kind of Americans in the rest of the world what this virus is doing is showing the weak points or things that maybe we could live change and live differently. It doesn't mean fundamental change, but it means marginal change that would actually make a big difference. Like does my kid need to be involved in seven sports? Maybe we could pare that down to two because most likely they're not going to be Bo Jackson. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I don't know as you, things that I'm thinking about. So yeah. I don't think I think it will change things. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. I think will the presence of masks on people who aren't Asian will 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 start to be uh, a lot more predominant during certain seasons of the year uh, because there's a now an understanding of okay if you have a respiratory illness it is those 
particles that you discharge between sneezing and, and coughing that gets everyone else. So let's, let's think about what we're doing there. Um, but otherwise I'm, I, I don't want to say it's not, there could be huge changes as far as economics go. Yeah. Uh, if we get into a depression or something like that, which I pray we don't, yeah. uh, but even then humans are still humans. Yeah. So it may mean that like a lot of restaurants will close or a lot of businesses will close, but eventually there will be constructive new ideas and new energies, but that's nothing new. That's like, to me, that's like painting the, painting the walls. You're not building a completely new house, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think, well, there's a, there's another, there's a book I read uh, from a doctoral program. I don't remember the name of it. I think it was like a history of, of media. Right. And so it, it went back and <clears throat> it was talking about the huge developments in media. And, and, you know, we, we, we kind of sit around and you know, the iPad comes out, we go, you know, you have all this kind of turmoil around where the iPad is good, whether, you know, how, how we're consuming media. But what, what you see is that conversation has been going on yeah. for thousands of years. Every time right. there's a, there's a new, the printing press and that, you know, that was something that shocked the world. So I think on a, you, 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 you might see some continued innovation or changes in, right. In how we, how things are done, uh, but as far as actual, you know, I think there's a good chance that people are, there's going to be a lot less air travel in the next couple of years, but that'll ramp up again at some point. But what, I, what I'd say is like most people are going to go back to their normal lives within a year, within two years. Uh, those people who are, you know, maybe more affected or in, in sectors, well, eventually things will get figured out. So I, I don't, you know, I, I just don't, we, 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 as, a, as a humanity, we've been through so much tumult, tumult and change and constant, uh, you know, liquidity, if you want to say, <laughs> you know, in some sense, you know, Zygmunt Bauman talks about liquid modernism and he's yeah. really about a, uh, uh, you know, a speeding up of that. I think, you know, but, but this isn't a, that, this isn't about, this is something that's way out of our hands, but I do think you're, I think if we can, we can help point people to, Hey, what's really important. Yeah. Family's more important than making a bunch of money. Right. Uh, you know, caring for people doing the right thing uh is more important um you know because at the end of the day what we're seeing here is we don't really have control of our lives right. let's just be honest i mean that's right. as much as we want to we want to say we've mastered the world uh we haven't yeah, yeah. You, you know it's interesting i was i was in um <clears throat> kids had a, a winter break um, actually the same break that brought basically brought coronavirus to Sweden because mm-hmm. a bunch of Swedes went skiing in the, yeah. in the Italian and, and yeah, 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 I saw that article, yeah. um, <clears throat> but that same break, we, we ended up in London. We had, we had had a, uh, we we're going to join a, a meet some meetings there and threw on a couple extra days to, to take the kids to London. They had always wanted to go. And so we went to the uh, museum of London, which is free. And, uh, we were walking through the uh, plague section where they were mm-hmm. talking about the plague in London. Of course, hundred, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people died. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, granted, the the virus was out, right? So, um, you know, President Trump and other countries had put a travel ban on things from you know flights from from Asia and, uh, or from China. And, but I remember thinking at the time, wow, that's a lot of people. And they had no way to control it. Yeah. And and the thought crossed my mind: we think we can control everything. Yeah. Um, actually, interestingly enough, uh, the CDC, uh, f- since like 
well, the Spanish flu, um, wrongly named, should be named like the, the Wichita, Kansas, Kansas right. flu, yeah. right? Um, but anyway, it, uh, since then, it had always maintained like 14 uh, quarantine centers all mm-hmm. over the nation for outbreaks where they could take people and um and and basically shut shut it down and watch them and learn things from the disease but also try to stop the spread of the disease so they could you know map who has had contact with this person and you know figure out well you need to come whatever else and um apparently in the 70s i think it was they closed them down because this is why we think that the threat of infectious disease is now over it's been eradicated Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, george w bush actually brought them back uh they're not currently being used um so it's it's something that's always been with us it's just something that we as americans in our lifetime have never and 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 certainly not western europe has ever had to deal with um and so i think it's i think it's scary in a lot of ways because we thought we could control everything and we thought that the disease was was eradicated or or, or whatever else um so i don't know you so hey you you read there was that there was that really good nt Wright article yeah yeah very good uh about christianity the bible doesn't have anything to say about coronavirus yeah what what are your thoughts on that article uh sum it up for me and uh well let's talk about that i think you if if it's if i'm correct you went into lamentations about you know the uh a lot of times the bible doesn't give us answers to uh I, you know i think I, I, I so i'm starting to kind of riff on other things here but you know from what i could see he was saying you know hey we shouldn't be trying to sit this is happening because of this or this is punishment or this is some kind of new you know jesus is coming next week you know we don't know and we're not we're, we're we've been told not not to uh trying to figure those things out. What we need to do is lament to, to be sorrowful and realize that God laments with us. You know, this is not, not something good. And so God is lamenting because we have a, we have, and it's speaking of the week of Easter, we have a God who has been come near to us, has taken on flesh, has experienced pain and suffering and sadness. And so understands what we're going through. I, th- I think that's what he was kind of going with. Right? Yeah. I, I read it last week. Um, our good friend, Joe Schley passed it on to us, I believe. Because I think I think he's I think he's spot on. I, I wish that, you know, we don't as Christians we don't. I want to be careful. Sometimes it is very difficult for us because we're in the middle of things to to appropriately uh, respond with the correct kind of emotion for the moment. Uh, we misidentify the seasons or we get caught up in it. But I, you know, Wright's point there. To, to lament, to notice what's going on, um, that this isn't necessarily the, the greatest opportunity for the new thing or whatever else, but rather just a time to go, we're human. Yeah. Uh, the Bible is full of stuff like that. The Psalms, yeah. um, you know, the prophets, um, all of the lamentations, obviously, an entire book written, written about lamenting. Um, to me, you know, we, it, it's interesting because... It, in, in society today, we talk a lot about we're reaching young people. You have to be quote unquote authentic. Um, to me, the Bible is actually, it, it is an incredibly authentic book. When you mm. go to one, it doesn't, it doesn't hide, it doesn't hide the flawed nature of its heroes. 
accepting Jesus who was not flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't seek to gloss over to make things look better than they were. Uh, when there is an appropriate response to a given situation, so whether it be lamenting or rejoicing or whatever else, it, so it, it kind of, it is just authentic in the way it approaches things. And I, I long for that authenticity among, uh, among Christians today, among my neighbors, you know, I was having mm-hmm. a great conversation with my neighbor the other day about, you know, he's, he's got older parents and I was asking, well, are you concerned? And he's like, yeah, I really am. Cause I don't think they're taking it seriously enough and, and different things. And there, there's an authenticity there that I think is, is, is really important. And I think we, I think we forget how important it is. We think we have to have the right answers. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of be courageous in the face of danger when sometimes um, a recognition of a shaking in my boots is maybe even a better, better idea. It's like, we don't need to fear the end result because of who God is and that he's in control. But the fact that, no, I'm human and I'm shaking in my boots yeah. uh, might actually be a pro- proper response. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that turns us hopefully back to God uh, and, and, the, and the, the realities that we have uh, with, with him. I, I, I once I point back to Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life, of that, that movie opening up with a quote from Job, where were you when I, when I created, you know, the foundations of the earth and it you know, obviously goes on, but he just has that one, one verse. And then, you know, you, you go into a tragedy in a family and then you go into a 30 minute scene of the creation of the world and the majesty of, of the creation. You know, those two things are juxtaposed to say, <clears throat> we have, we have a God that coronavirus isn't surprising him, who is a great God, a powerful God who's in control and who loves us deeply and yes, but, but that love does not spare us from pain and suffering and the realities. And so what's the purpose of maybe that suffering is a deeper question. Is that to draw us closer to God? Is it to make yeah. us, you know, more, more human even, you know, cause we, we, we're in a cult, we're a culture and a society that flees from any hardship. Yep. I see it in my own self, you know, any type of hardship or pain. I mean, we live, we live better than, you know, any human in the history of yep. the world. Right. Um, what we're able to do. And so, you know, so, so I think that's the question is like, are we, are we drawing ourselves closer to God in this time and, and, and relying more on him as a Christian and if, as maybe as not a Christian, are we asking bigger questions and saying, you know, if there's a God, what does this mean for me? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that the, the shortest verse in the Bible, quote unquote, of course, in, in English, Jesus wept. Yeah. And that is, taking place in the middle of the story of raising Lazarus from the dead. Mm -hmm. Here is Jesus who knew he would raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet in his humanity took a moment to weep for the condition of, of the human race and specifically his friend. Um, Glenn Kreider, a professor at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. A legend. A legend. legend. Love you, Glenn. Uh, So, he wrote a book called God with us, which is just absolutely, it is one of my favorite uh, books. And, uh, um, but really he just chronicles that this is the message of the entirety of the Bible, that it is not a new thing that God with us, that Jesus came to earth. And that was when God came with us, but rather Mm -hmm. that God has been condescending to humanity um, since 
forever <laughs> since eternity passed or since the creation of the world that he condescends into humanity to have relationship with humanity and that he is a loving and good and and and, uh, and compassionate and uh, and all-knowing in the sense of um, relating to our humanity it's just a fantastic uh, book if anyone if you want a book that will change your perspective on God and Jesus. I highly recommend yeah. that book. Glenn's a great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there you go. Well, in this time of coronavirus, um, what, uh, what, do you, what is your family doing? I mean, you, you have been outdoors, what, three, four times? I go out a lot because, okay. um, you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the one if it's going to, get coronavirus and die. It's probably, <laughs> probably should be me, right? No, just kidding. No, 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 no that's not, not it at all. Uh, but the kids obviously are not, are not really allowed to go out. Um, uh, you're all, so they, they can't go out. And then, you know, it's just easier for me to go out and everything. So yeah. I, I, I go out a couple times a week just to go buy groceries. Um, so what, what are we doing? <clears throat> we watch some movies. We're painting a little. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Spain's an incredibly creative they like teach you how to draw and paint. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I painted something. It looks, it looks like a five-year-old did it. <laughs> and my other kids paint stuff. And it looks like, you know, professional artists. You, to me your today, seven-year-old you know? did it. And it looks like a professional it looks, artist. It looks really good. I'm like, wow, that's, that's really good. My, my mind does not look so good. Like I actually held the mind up to my wife and she goes, Oh, did Violet do that? I'm like, no, this is mine. <laughs> um, so, so they, they, so we've been painting a little, we've been, uh, uh you know watching some movies um playing board games uh you know getting online with family and friends a little bit here and there but we're also you know this week is easter week so there's not the school, kids aren't in school so but when it when when it when school's been going on we've been pretty busy with school work i feel like um the teachers are giving more work now that they have like they can oh we need to catch up so we'll let the you know so, uh, so we're staying busy. How about you guys? What, what, I guess you guys have a, a less, yeah, you know, less, we have a pretty normal, parks and, yeah, we, we have a pretty normal life. I mean, thankfully, snowflake. Sweden is the surface area or the, the, you know, square mileage of, uh, of California roughly with the population a little less than Los Angeles. Yeah. So we're, we're spread out. So there's a good distance. I mean, if you live in the big cities, bigger cities, um, yeah. of course you're a lot tighter and stuff, but, but I mean, I, I go for a run every day and I'm, I'm, I live on the edge of the city. And so I'm out, uh, actually I run by the ancient Viking burial grounds. So, uh -huh. um, you know, there's a scene from, um, Lord of the Rings where, uh, I forget his name, but the Kings it's in the extended version, but it's after it's in the second film. It's after all the battles at Helm, not Helm's deep, but it's that same movie. Who's the King there? That oh, King of uh, Rowan. Thorin, Thorin or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he uh, buries his, what is it? Son or. Yeah. It's right after he comes out of being possessed. Yeah. Kind of, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, so, we but there's the, there's the scene and it's a very Viking uh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah scene yeah. and actually the burial grounds kind of there's all these little bumps and hills and stuff um there's three huge ones out by where i live and then there's a bunch of little small ones and uh so it's yeah so there's a church built over where they used to do uh animal and human sacrifice to the norse gods and uh, so i run along a uh, really cool pilgrim trail that goes out there and uh so i'm out in the woods and beautiful country and uh 
yeah. So our kids uh, right now are outside playing with neighborhood friends uh, and uh, having a good time. So life for us actually is really fairly normal, except that I work from home uh, and we don't really go to any meetings with, you know, friends or anything like yeah. that. Restaurants are still open, uh, but we don't, we just really haven't. We, we cook from home generally anyway. Yeah. So uh, I've been barbecuing a lot, uh, lots of grilling. I brought nice. out the, uh, brought out the grill, smoked a bunch of stuff yesterday. So very good. Um, and actually, yeah, you know, it's funny, you do stay a lot more, a lot more uh, busy than you normally would uh, with meetings or Skype meetings or whatever. Um, but we've really tried to, as an organization, we've really tried to pair them back to just what's necessary. Um, we've told some of our staff that this is a downtime and, you know, there a lot of them are studying language right now. Oh, just yeah, really working and just taking advantage of, of the times that it is and not working and or, you know, not overworking ourselves to try to have a sense of must be doing something. Yeah. Uh, and so just trying to learn different rhythms. Uh, I try to, I, for me personally, I, in the beginning of this, I was checking my phone a lot uh-huh. and it was, it, I'm using the word anxiety a lot more lately. Um, mm-hmm. my, my counselor's trying to get me to do that. So I'm doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I was building up a lot of anxiety and part of it was just that sense of, I got to check the numbers or I got to check the news. And so I was just yeah. constantly flipping through my phone and uh, recently I've just kind of said, you know, about two times a day is when I'll check it. I'll check it in yep. the morning and I'll check it, you know, in the evening. Um, and otherwise I'm just going to stay away from it because I can't, I, I can't live my life by this. And um, so, you know, we started doing Sabbath a couple months ago and uh, even more so now we, we institute a pretty hardcore, just shut off the phone, shut off the technology for a 24 hour period and let our bodies reset. And uh and just enjoy not doing that. And so reading a lot more. Um, so it's actually, in some ways, it's not been at all bad. Um, I am ready for it to be over uh, because I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, there are a lot of things we wanted to do and, you know, we had, yeah. we had plans and everything else. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, I think that's just where, well, that's a great practice of shutting off media for a day, you know, once a week, or even as we go into Easter for a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I think that's a, it's a really good idea. But I, and I, I think what we're what we're kind of seeing it's it's interesting. So you you know there was always already a bit of a dialogue between technology and humanity going on right now, and this is also maybe the, this time of like we're we're so dependent on technology. And I'm not I'm not saying that necessarily in a bad way, but it does bleed into addictions and you know yeah. kind of anxiety. Yeah. And so how maybe this is another conversation to have a like, you know, how do we get back to, because at the end of the, at the end of the day as humans, we need human con, maybe not the Swedes, but uh, <laughs> we need, we need human contact. We, you know, we need, that's this part of healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so people are going to, people are going to, are going to get back to that. So and, I actually, I actually have this really random theory. Can't prove it. I probably shouldn't say it out loud because it, might sound a little bit squirrely, but I think that, I think that there's, like I said, this is just a, just a, an idea. It is not anything scientific at all. So please don't email me people. But, uh, but that I do think that there has to be some kind of mutual pheromone release that happens when, or I don't know if pheromone is it, but whatever, some kind of chemical something that is in the air when two people are meeting face to face. Like you and I are meeting over zoom right now, having doing a podcast. It's a lot of fun and I'm getting yeah, refreshed yeah. by it, but yeah. it's not the same as if you and I are sharing 
you know, a meal together or oh, no, coffee or just a face-to-face you know, -face conversation, there is something very different that happens. And part of it's, yeah. you know, you're not reading body language. Your behaviors are a little bit different. But I actually think that there is something intangible that you cannot, it, even if you could reproduce most of what you could have, I think that there has to be some kind of chemical something that happens. But none of that can I prove, but it, it, there is a, a tangible difference to me. Uh, yeah, yeah de definitely. I mean, we're blessed by technology because like you and I can talk, but I, I'd much rather be sitting down and our family is running around and, uh, yeah. you know, what we do every once in a while. And, and it just gets back to pilgrimage, you know, yeah. which is really what this is about is, you know, pilgrimage is about a physical living out, communal living out in presence, but in the day-to-day -day of trudging along, seeing places, touching places, being able to experience something physically, uh, that then is, is the, the metaphor for life, that is a metaphor for our, our, our walk with Christ or our theological reflections. Um, you know, I, I think we, we, when, we, when we move out of that physical space, we, we lose a lot of the mystery, a lot of the beauty, a lot of the, the meaning of life. Um, mm. And I, I think, you know, you know, people, people yearn for that. You know, what, what are people doing right now? They're putting on Facebook pictures of trips they took and places yeah. they went to, right? <laughs> right. So you're looking at, like, oh, that's really cool. But if that's, but if you hadn't been there, yeah, I, you know, I, I look at that and go, that's New York City. I've been there. I've never been there. That looks good to me. Oh, maybe I should try to think about going there someday. But right. otherwise, I, I, it's a total disconnection. There's a, there's a gap between physicality and yep. the virtual. Yeah. Once again, I'm not saying the virtual isn't useful and not, and not good. And that's, that's something that's part of our lives now. I'm not against it. I'm not a radical. It's disconnect totally, but, but we still have to have that other, other side of it. The other no, side of it. Well, yeah, we're, we're created for somebody. It. Yep. You need to hug somebody. Yep. Physical touch and the presence of other human beings. That's, that is, that is, uh, those are two things that are, are very important. Um, and to, to be experienced. I mean, to, so, I mean, the, the pilgrimage that we did, we had, we not experienced it with five other, other guys, people. Yep. I think it would have been all right. Just go, go by yourself. But the fact that we experienced it with five other people made it a, an incredibly powerful experience. Did I, have I ever told you the, the day I decided I wanted to get married? Mm -mm. So <clears throat> I had, had a series of, uh, uh, let's say, unfortunate dating relationships um, that just, you know, one of those things like you break up and you're like, yeah, that was, that was whatever that was. I don't know. So, you know, just, just not engaging with each other, you know, like we just, you just both kind of knew, yeah, we're not really into this. Or this is going to work. And uh, I had actually come to a point where I was like, I don't, I don't really know if I want to get married, you know, mm -hmm. and um, random story, but uh I was headed up to, I was living in Houston at the time. I had just decided to join staff. And so I had quit my job and uh, I was driving up to Houston uh, or driving up to Oklahoma from Houston to be with my mom uh, over uh, New Year's. And uh, I got to Dallas and I hit really bad traffic. <laughs> and I was just like, man, I hate this it's going to take me forever it's going to take me three yeah. hours to get an hour and a half north yeah 35 and, uh, just try to get to denton yeah and somehow what do i i looked up really quickly or i figured out really quickly you know what there's nothing west right now no mm -hmm. traffic so i'm gonna start heading west yeah, there, there's nothing west actually yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's, so, that's where i'm from there's nothing so else. well so 
I decided I started driving West. I was like, what's West? Maybe I should take a couple of days for myself. Uh-huh. And I thought to myself, well, I've never, I've never seen the Grand Canyon. Oh my gosh, dude. And so I called up this my like mom. like a song. I, I called up my mom <laughs> and I said, I'm driving to the Grand Canyon. Oh, that's sweet. And, uh, and so I did. I drove to the Grand Canyon. It took me a couple of days to get there. I get to Flagstaff, Arizona. It's pouring. I mean, not pouring down. It's just hard snow coming down. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Miles and miles of, it was a terrible snowstorm. Miles and miles of cars just on every side of the ditch. And uh, I finally make it to Flagstaff. Got what might possibly have been the last available hotel room in the entire town. Mm-hmm. And uh, hold up there for a day and a half until it cleared up and then drove to the Grand Canyon. And I'm standing there at the Grand Canyon. Amazing, beautiful, incredible thing. And I'm standing there and I realized it sure would be nice to have someone to turn to and say, that's a big ditch. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And I realized I think I do want to get married. Now, that's not the only reason one should get married. Uh, it's probably, even if, if it's your only reason, it's probably a pretty terrible reason. Right? Uh, so <laughs> yeah. thankfully, you know, I was able to think that through more than just, well, I'm, I got married because I wanted a companion. But there is something to be said for, my point yeah. is companionship or yeah. shared shared enjoyment with a person that is is beautiful and i've got these incredible pictures it was an incredible day the colors are just incredible uh you know of me at the grand canyon that i set up on a timer and went and ran over and got a picture or had someone take a picture of for me but the reality is is it wasn't nearly as deep as when i went there two years two summers ago with my wife and my two kids yeah yeah and we we talked and you know we were talking about the animals and so there is something to be said for pilgriming or going mm-hmm. through life with other mm-hmm. people that we yeah. are communal beings no amount of technology can replace that it is a it is a decent uh let's say substitute from time to time mm-hmm. but at the end of the day there's nothing to be said for the for the face to face yeah yeah which which in some ways then if we think about if if we think about the god who condescended mm-hmm. that there is no replacement for the fact that he embodied flesh. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not, he didn't just do it spiritually. That would be the essentially, uh, he zoomed it in. Um, yeah. But no, he, he embodied it and he came face to face with humanity and embodied humanity. So there, so there you have, there you have it, Barrett. This, this, this is a great line. So God does not use zoom. <laughs> God, God, God is not zooming. <clears throat> he's not zooming it in. <laughs> he's not zooming it in. He actually is there with you and, and uh, in a very real way and has been physically. And one day we will, we will be <clears throat> with him in a very real way in ways that we probably don't, can't understand. Uh, he does not zoom it in, but, but we, we cannot control his, his timeline and what he's doing and why he's doing it. Yeah. And so we are, but we are, but frail humans. Yeah. The C.S. Lewis line, right? The, uh, oh, he's, uh, about Aslan, right? The, uh, in, in Mind of Witch in the Wardrobe. Yeah. He, he's, is he, is he a good line? Yeah, he's good. But is he safe? Oh no, he's not safe. Yeah. No, no, no. I didn't say anything about safe. He's good, but he's definitely not safe. So yeah. God is good, but not, not safe. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, have you ever, there, there's a great band, uh, it was out of Mars Hill Church, uh, called uh was it ghost ship no that was the name of their album anyway they have a song on um you know that line from the terrence malick film where were you mm-hmm. uh and it is it is uh job 
was it 38? Um, and it just goes through of, it is an incredible song. Uh, maybe we'll put it in the show notes online. Um, anyway, kind of hits the same idea is mm-hmm. that God's response to Job and all of the suffering is creation. It is his power and ability to create. Job never fully gets all of his answers, but he learns to trust. And in that finds intimacy. Mm-hmm. But yet God no longer says, where were you when I created? He says, I died for you. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it, even, it even progressed his, yep. his willingness to identify with his creation. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty incredible stuff. Well, Garrick, uh, we are hitting, I don't know how long, cause I forgot to set a timer. I think it's been a little bit over, a little bit under an hour. Hey, <clears throat> I think wow. we're, I, I'm looking as I'm looking at the time. So we, we did all right. Hey, there you go. Uh, we'll get these maybe shorter sometime. But hey, quite question. Oh, I think I, we're just going to set the standard. It's about an hour. Hey, what yeah. are, what are you, do you have any, uh, rituals that you do like personal rituals? Not, not like, uh, not like official things. It could be official, but like just things you do during the Easter season to, to remind you of, I, I personally like Easter better than Christmas, but um, oh, yeah. I think it means a lot more, but uh, anything that you do from year to year, just to kind of get you in the, in the mood or in perspective to orient your heart. That's a good question. I probably should have something. <laughs> I, well, uh, okay. Sorry, dude. <laughs> that's right. Uh, the, I know I, I do like to, you know, usually pick up a, a like a Lent guide from our church. Sometimes okay. they have, they do an Advent one. I don't know if they've done a Lent one this year, but um or from from someone and just kind of you know read a few things we uh but uh as far as do you do you, do you have anything uh i or i don't do, do anything i don't do anything major every year it depends upon kind of how i'm i'm very much an intuitive kind of how i'm feeling sort of thing and kind of yeah. feel it out uh i started two years ago i started listening to um uh andrew peterson has three albums uh called resurrection letters prologue mm-hmm. volume one and volume two and uh, I listen to those kind of on loop. So I just listen. And Andrew Peterson to me is perhaps one of the greatest artists America's ever produced, uh, mm-hmm. at least Christian artists. His lyrics are incredibly rich. Um, Music-wise, you know, he's not everybody's flavor. But for mm-hmm. me personally, I, I like his music. But his the the lyrics in it are just incredible. Rich, rich theology. Um, playful with words. Uh, so I listen to a lot of of that, but I, I really connect with the Lord over music, uh, or it helps me orient my heart. So I have a hard time. Uh, I have a, uh, shrunken piece of coal for a heart. Yeah, and, we all uh, do. <laughs> so, so, uh, music helps me discover, uh, a very soft beat in it. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of what I do. Uh, otherwise, you know, we've been trying some new things with our kids. Um, just trying to, Trying to trying to create in them an anticipation for the risen king and for the coming king. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've done different things, um, but can't say that any of them have have, have really stuck. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're, we do some different different things. Kind of depends on the year a little bit, <clears throat> where we are also. In, yeah. In the in the in the in the world. Because <clears throat> sometimes you, we, we can. Are you just gonna hide eggs around the house? This yeah, year? we'll <laughs> we'll do an egg because Violet's still. <laughs> That's right. And so yeah. we'll, we'll hide some eggs. We've always done egg hunts in our house. Uh, in Spain, it's not a thing that they don't, they don't do egg hunts or anything. Yeah. So yeah. Easter's a little, little different here. Um, but uh, what is the main food for Easter in Spain? Oh, they don't, I don't, it probably depends on the town. Okay. Like you're, or the city you're in or the region. So, you know, they could be like a 
different type of cake or a pie, not a pie, a torta, like a different type of yeah. pastry is yeah. usually kind of the thing that gets, and there might be some family dishes, but, uh, you know, not, nothing, nothing major. Like, do y'all uh, have a, do y'all have a go-to food for, for Easter? No, we just use different things, different kind of whatever Zoom's yeah. kind of experimenting with or wants to, you know, we have a feeling for you guys i'm I'm pondering going out and doing lamb this year oh that sounds good yeah in sweden you do hams but yeah i kind of i'm kind of i don't know even though i'm I'm fine with eating pork eat lots of pork it seems weird on easter to eat a bunch of pork when like the lamb is the 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 beast of the beast of uh significance (laughs) what what i really miss when we're in the states if we haven't been to states in easter in a long time but we try to connect a little bit is, is, you know, kind of like liturgical service of Easter, yeah, yeah. you know, and how that, that's uh, I think that's really what, which, which in, you know, Protestant churches in Spain, they, they, they really avoid that um, because it looks too much like Catholicism sometimes. But I, I, uh, I miss that, that high church, very reverential, uh, but um, you know, that, that idea of, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, hey, and, and that random, the resurrection random random question um but did you when you when you were at dts did you have dr allman at all was yeah, he yeah there at the time yeah yeah yeah. so have you ever heard he may not have developed it by then but have you ever heard his view of the lord's supper i don't think so so, so i had him, I, for, I had him for, only for old testament stuff okay okay yeah he mentions it in a, in in his class in the old testament very briefly uh, okay, okay um but when he's talking about passover um, but he actually thinks that the Lord's Supper, um, w- that we've made it into this very somber kind of, you know, sort mm-hmm. of thing. And he actually thinks that it should be very much a celebration mm-hmm. um, because of what it signifies, um, the, the the anticipation of the covenant, the current covenant. And, you know, so I it, it's it's a really fascinating thought to me. And I wish that Gosh, I wish I had him here. We had him scheduled to come to Sweden and we had to cancel uh, because all guy. of our staff were out of the country raising support. But, um, but he's a, such a humble guy. He really is. He reminds me of my dad. Um, I took him and even his mannerisms, how he talks, his, uh-huh. his facial, like everything. I was like, oh my gosh, it's like sitting in front of my dad. Uh, <laughs> but he is, he is a really, yeah. You talk about a dude sits there and, and teaches from a Hebrew Bible directly translating it into english with yeah, syntax yeah. that works yeah yeah but incredibly vulnerable and honest yeah and, yeah he's got an incredible uh, story incredible story and uh, yeah amazing guy there are there are litany of those people uh so mm-hmm. this is this is this will be my closing thought there is uh i got an email from someone uh a pastor of a well-known church in tech well matt matt chan no not matt chandler matt what's his name Anyway, something from uh, Austin Stone in, mm-hmm. in Texas is is leaving and going to a church in Houston, and so they were sending out an update to their the congregation and stuff. And um, great, great guy, great church. So nothing to say about any of those. Or but and and even he would say, "Hey, you you worship the message of of it rather than the preacher or whatever." And so you know, or not worship the message, but you worship the object of the message. And so really great guy, and I think good theology, all that stuff, but. Um, it's interesting to me though, how it it got me to thinking last night, 
as I was going to sleep, because I watched this video of him making an announcement, how many people are, are going to be sad today after getting that announcement? And rightfully so, he's, yeah. he's a beloved leader. But how many unsung heroes are there of the faith who no one knows about, who are laboring in, um, you know, in, 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 honestly, what, what, they're just unknown people doing yeah, yeah. incredible work, you know? Um, like if, if he had, so 18 years ago, it took him 18 years to plant this, you know, big church in Austin, Texas, and they do incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. But what if he had decided to go and plant a church in New England? Yeah. And he got it up to 500 people. Yeah. Uh, would he be well known? Would he be invited onto, uh, you know, podcasts and how do you do it and everything? The else? circuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The choices we make, but yet this is, I, I read this morning, the first, sh- the, the last shall be first and the f- first shall be last. Yeah. And in God's kingdom, how upside down that is. And I think if mm-hmm. guys like James Allman or different seminary professors around the world who have incredible minds and could be doing tons of things and making money or getting notoriety and they choose to teach at little places all over the world to help people understand who Jesus is and to teach others about him. Yep. I wonder what their reward will be, you know? Well, I think, I think you're, you're, you know, we said in the first podcast, God's bad at goals, right? You know, he doesn't have goals or what, you know, because, because that's, that's, that's the whole thing. It's, it's this upside down kingdom where, math is is you know it doesn't our math is not does not work does not apply where small things are really what makes a huge impact where i mean I, i'm not i don't want to critique people who've got big churches or anything uh because they no, started out somewhere yeah. but the point is is that we, we you know god's economy is not the way we want it to work many 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 times and yeah but in that is an incredible uh you know, you think, I mean, I did mention, you know, women, you know, what, what, what God did was use women in a powerful, powerful way. And, and throughout the old Testament, especially in the new Testament in a way that changed, did change the world, Yeah. you know, to where now that's, you know, and I'm, I'm someone who actually believes women should be ordained should, or should be preaching, you know, but that, that's an incredible cultural and societal change that right. was instigated on Easter, you know, by having the first witnesses, you know, be women. But in that culture, in that time, that was not a smart move. Right. If you look at it, if you look at it culturally and societally, that was not the, that was not the way to go that right. you're going to make the main witnesses of a defining moment in history, you know, a group of, of women. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it was another, another, uh, great, uh, Oh, and I'm blanking on his name. Seminary professor. Um, and I'm just, why am I blanking on his name? We're going to have to edit this part out because <laughs> I, I literally cannot think of his name, but he is incredible. And he, he uh, preached a message one time called the um, central truth of Christ likeness, Lanier Burns. Yeah. Lanier, yeah. And uh, you know, he, in, in that sermon one time, he, and he constantly says this, so you just have to spend a few minutes around him to hear it. But he says, don't cheapen the gospel with marketing. It doesn't need its. It doesn't need a headline. It's strong enough on its own. And um, now that doesn't mean that we don't do marketing or you know all these things. We I think we do do those things. But his point is is that you, you can think of all of the coolest methods in the world, but at the end of the day, it comes down to a Jewish carpenter who rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. And um, which I often reflect on and think, 
Jesus was a carpenter in a tree in a in a country without trees. That was a <laughs> sucky. Trees. That was a sucky, yeah, right? But I mean, you know, like I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't there like he was a yeah. carpenter in in, in Sweden. Sweden with all the yeah, those giant forests. And... <laughs> so I mean, he talk about wow. He that was a tough job. Um, I'm not sure olive wood is easy to work with either. Uh, no, it probably isn't. But anyway, so the the, the point being. Um, I, I, and all these methods and you and I are going to get to this cause we're both going through the Stefan Pass book of church planning and Western mm-hmm. secular societies, but of all the methods and all the other things, the only thing that should be put at a premium is the faithfulness of a few preaching Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Like, like it mm-hmm. just going about doing his thing the way he would do it. It's good enough and it's attractive enough on its own. Yeah. Uh, which is reminiscent. If you've never listened to, I don't know if you've listened to this podcast, but um, a podcast called uh, This Cultural Moment. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. Some guy in there from, from uh, um, guy, two pastors, one from uh, Melbourne, Australia, and one from uh, Portland, Oregon. And the one from Melbourne had been involved in the emerging church movement. And then mm-hmm. eventually kind of goes, what if, what if instead of, you know, emerging church, missional church, all these, these things, what if we just tried to do church <laughs> yeah. and just do it uh-huh. really well and yeah. follow Jesus as best we can. And yeah. uh, it's completely like revolutionized. The guys are uh, Mark Sayers is his name. Really, yeah. really wicked, smart dude. Anyway. Okay. So we've gone way too long. Uh, Garrick, I wish you and your family a wonderful Easter. It yeah, is happy the Easter. best time of the year. Yeah. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's right. Amen. We'll catch you on the next one, buddy. See ya. Thanks. Bye-bye.